Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. awake. I love it. Ooh, it's going to be fun. Hey, it's the best Sunday ever. So right now somebody's like, oh, that sounds like a weird gimmick. It is a weird gimmick. So here's here's the deal. Uh, The best Sunday ever is actually not a a pizza wrapped in an ice cream cone. The best Sunday ever is actually not a band outside, and it's not any of that kind of stuff. Here's the best Sunday ever. The best Sunday ever is a Sunday when you come to a place in your life where you recognize your need for God. And, and maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you're like, no, I recognize that today I'm going to take a step forward in my walk with God. I'm going to drive a stake in the ground with my walk, walk with God. And I promise you, that'll make the best Sunday ever. So all the other stuff is just uh, like the cherry on top. But the person that lets God transform their life this, after, this morning you're going to have the best Sunday ever. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that really is. That's the heart of what we're talking about here is um, that, that, that is the best Sunday. If you can't tell, I'm matching my wife. Um, that's, uh, that's not on accident. I don't, I'm not allowed to dress myself, so <laughs> I, I just do what I do. And um, some, some men are good at dressing themselves. I'm, I'm not. So I just, uh, <laughs> just wear what she tells me to wear. That's right. Happy wife. Happy life, and um, that's what we're going to preach about today. No. Hey, so um, we're in the middle of a series on relationships, and I was supposed to get up and talk about relationships this morning, and it was going to have this illustration I'd built and everything, and uh, this morning at about 8 o'clock, about 8.30, I just felt the Lord say, no, that's, that's not it. Don't do that. Um, I want you to preach something completely different that has nothing to do with relationships. And um, typically, when I hear a preacher do that, in my mind, I think, that's because you're unprepared. (laughs) I promise you I was prepared, but I also promise you this is for somebody today, that that God didn't want you to just come in to the best Sunday ever with cute lights and cute signs and cute Italian sodas, but not walk away changed. And so today, I, I really believe that this word will will be transformational for somebody if you just lean in. Is that all right? All right. I got four. So I I was telling somebody at the last service, they're like, hey, I I wanted to, like, say stuff. I just felt like I should say stuff while you were preaching. Here's the deal. That's the church tradition I come from. I come from the kind of church where they, like, talk back. So if you do that, um, I actually get more comfortable. When you're quiet, I'm like, am I saying something wrong? So, um, but you don't have to either. So whatever. Here we go. Let, let's just get it. Let's just get on with it. How about that? How about we just get going? So um, <laughs> I like it. Come on, I see you. Um, 
Here's what, here's what Paul says in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword what will separate you from the, is it, is it, he says nakedness, what he's saying is being so destitute you can't afford clothes, like maybe somebody's in that place today, you just feel like the, the, the bank is just, it's running too thin and you're like, I don't know how we're going to make it. Will that separate you from the love of Christ? Will danger, will COVID-19 separate you from the love of Christ? No, it won't. But we live in this world right now that is, it's like a pressure cooker, isn't it? I don't know about your family, but I'm talking about my family. It feels like this last two years, like since the beginning of 2020, it's just this slow pressure cooker. Just You don't notice the stress. You don't notice the pressure. But it just incrementally adds up until you find yourself at this, this boiling point. You don't know what's going on, but it just... What it is, is it's like negative news after negative news after negative news after negative news after hope for some positive followed by negative news followed by this person and that person. And, and I'm just saying this to somebody today that nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. He says this, he says, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved. He says, he says, you are not the one that loses. You are more than the Super Bowl winner. You are more than the Olympic champion. You are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. He says, more than conquerors through Christ who loved us for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future or any other powers, neither height nor depth or any and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I just want to encourage somebody today and say whatever you're facing, whatever that fear is, whatever it is, in the back of your mind, that big question mark that hangs, that looms over your marriage, that looms over your bank account, that looms over your education. I just want to say none of it can touch the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul uses these powerful words, he says, these three powerful words. He says, I am convinced. Woo. I'm convinced. He ever... You ever argue with somebody that's convinced already? Yeah. You can say whatever you're going to say. You can talk. All you, you're just blowing wind because they're already convinced. Somebody's like elbowing their spouse right now. He's like, like I, I feel like I'm blowing wind when we're talking. <clears throat> because when you're convinced of something, you have a place to put your feet you have an opportunity to let your back be straight, to, to stand for what you believe in. This, this idea of being convinced. I'm convinced. The, the crazy thing is that the, the enemy of your soul, his goal is, is to convince you of things that aren't actually true. 
So your role is to be convinced. His agenda is to convince of a false narrative every time. And he gives all kinds of false narratives about uh, you, about your faith, about the kingdom of God, about the church, about whatever it may be, about what's going on in the world around us. He uses these things. As I was studying this week, I was looking at, um, I was doing some deep theological study, and uh, it was on Google, and, um, and I was reading about this guy who, who was able to spread false narratives and accomplish some pretty crazy things. One of them was he, uh, he sold the Eiffel Tower. He actually sold the Eiffel Tower to six uh, scrapyards. There were six metal scrapyards in France. He went to them. They, they were, France was having trouble like keeping the tower looking nice. And so he went to them and he told them that the, he was a, a member from the government and he was going to sell them the Eiffel Tower so that they could basically do whatever they want with it. And sure enough, these six businesses all go in league with him, buy the Eiffel Tower, and then, then he leaves the country. This is the best thing ever somebody... <laughs> So funny. Hey, if you were, um, if, if you were like a, a music person, late 80s, early 90s, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody that convinced you they were one thing, but they were really another thing. Come on, check these guys out. These guys are here. That's here right there. That, that's Millie. Does anybody else remember? Girl, you know it's true. Ooh, 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 I love you. <laughs> Millie Vanilli was it. Like, they sold just crazy amounts of albums. They were, this is back in the day when you didn't just download music from a millennial. So you used to not, like, just download off the internet. You would, you would actually go and buy a tape. These are cassette tapes. And they, actually, this is like in the era when CDs were, well, no, I don't think anybody really had CDs yet. This is cassette tapes. This is the real deal. And they, they sold all these things. And, uh, and, the, and what happened is, so they had like Grammy Awards. They were like very well known. They were it. And one day in the middle of a concert, they're doing their dance like this. And they're like, girl, you know, girl, you know, girl. It's, the music starts skipping. Girl, you girl, you girl, you know. And everybody has this aha moment. Like, oh, my goodness. What they told us was not true. They're not singing. They're lip syncing. None of us knew what that was. Until we heard of it. Here's the guys that were actually playing the music. There. Boom. Now you know why they chose Millie Vanilli as the cover, right? They're like, hey, you guys got, you guys got talent, but no, we're not going to. We're going to get two good-looking guys, and we're going to put them in just some super nasty late 80s tank tops. And it's going to be amazing. <laughs> this is, <laughs> here's the deal. The enemy of your soul does the exact same thing. He, he convinces us that you're believing a truth when the truth is actually not true. Paul's message was that I am convinced about something. So the enemy of your soul knows if he can just convince you of a false truth or a false narrative that you would actually miss the gospel message. This is... This is something that happens all throughout Scripture. This is what happens. Here it says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. 
This is Paul talking to the church in Galatia that knows the gospel, but they've been sold a lie. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified. So that means like being made right with God. So a person is not made right with God by works of the law. Did you hear that? You're not made right with God by doing good things. But through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He's telling a Christian church that you guys have believed the milly vanilli of faith. You guys have believed the lie. And the lie is that somehow, even though God says you're good and you're right with him, that he doesn't actually mean it. That there is some secret code that God has hidden somewhere. Some certain measurement, measuring stick that he's, he's waiting for you to get to. It's like being a, a little kid at, at the amusement park. And you go to go do the ride and then you realize like there's a height requirement. And the, the disappointment in your child when they realize that they're 47 inches tall and the ride requires 48 inches tall and the teenager at Roaring Springs isn't willing to fudge the numbers a little bit. It's this disappointment. And that's what happens in our faith. We think, oh, maybe, maybe God actually has a hidden height requirement somewhere. Maybe, maybe I, like, I love him, I want to serve him, I want to honor him, but, but for some reason I, I recognize that in me something is missing. I don't actually please him. So what is it that takes people that should be convinced in their faith and makes them unconvinced in their faith? What is that thing? Peter recognizes this when we see him in Acts chapter 10 uh, the, the Apostle Peter, he's, he's on the coast of the Mediterranean, and as he's there, he has this vision, and the Lord speaks to him, and, uh, and he, he shows him this, this vision, and essentially what it means is, is that all the non-Jewish people, all the, all the people that are not Jewish are now included into the covenant with God. Okay, So that means anyone in the room, if you are not of Jewish heritage, this, this one vision is God saying, you're now in, you're in. And in this moment, Peter, he says, no, 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 that, that's not how it works, God. I, I don't touch things that aren't clean. I don't be with things that aren't clean. And God tells him, no, actually don't call things unclean that I've called clean. We, don't, we do that a lot, don't we? We set our own standards for what we believe God really wants. And God's like, no, 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 don't call unclean what I'm calling clean. And then, so Peter brings this message to the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. So four chapter, uh, five chapters later, he goes to the council and, 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 and he's, he's like, hey, God is doing this work with, with the, the Gentiles. There's all this stuff is going on. And, and the council says, hey, here's the deal. We'll allow the Gentiles to be part of the church. So all of us that are not Jews, we're, they're allowing us to be part of the body, and they said it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit that they could do this and, and that we're only going to put four requirements on them. 
really simple requirements like not drinking uh, blood, <laughs> like not eating things that are strangled, uh, immor- not doing like immorality, adultery, not worshiping false gods. Basically, what they're doing is they're saying these people can be in so long as they don't worship false gods. Is what they're doing. And so we've got Peter here who, for his entire life, he believed that God had cursed the Gentiles, you and I. For his entire, although he knew, he was convinced that the gift of salvation is a free gift, he was also convinced that anyone outside of his tribe was cursed by God, and that in order to maintain the blessings of God in his life, he couldn't participate with them in everyday activities. So, so for Peter, it, it was this thing like if, if he was to sit down with you and I to eat a shawarma, like he would, he would believe that God would curse him, that maybe his crops would fail, like somehow connected to this idea of of being with an unbel- like a, a Gentile, that God curses it. That the crops would fail, that this, the, the land would have famine, that the people would be exiled out of Israel, that mothers would be barren, that fathers would be defeated in battle, that diseases and mental disorders would reign in the land. And so Peter, that was his basic assumption, is, is if I connect with these people, God will curse me. And this is accelerated by the fact that in that moment in history, Jerusalem is in the middle of a famine. And so he really believes, like, God loves us, but God has some strings attached that change everything. It's really God loves us with manipulation. That's what he's believing. God loves us with conditions. It's, you could say, it was a superstitious approach to God. And in this room, we're like, nah, that's, that's fine. You're talking about a guy 2,000 years ago. We're way beyond that. Like, we're way beyond having these weird, milli-vanilli Christian views. We're way beyond having superstitious things. But the truth is, if I'm honest with myself, there's a disconnect in me between what I know about God and what I feel about God sometimes. Like, I know he loves me, but some days I believe that his love is deep down here. I feel like it's conditional. Like, I know it's unconditional love of God, but, the, but there are days when I feel like maybe I just didn't measure up enough today, and so maybe I should, I should feel uh, higher levels of guilt and shame because maybe God has some sort of condition, and, and it's in those moments where we feel like God loves us, but there's also a different story going on. We, we feel like God loves us, but maybe there's a part of me that's cursed in the same idea of the Jews believing that, that their land would be barren, that their wives would not have children, that their fathers would go into exile. There's a part of me that believes sometimes, like I know this thing, 
So there's part of me sometimes that says, maybe God isn't as loving and caring as, as I know. Maybe what's going on in here is the reality. The, the fear I experience towards God is the actual reality. So the curses that, that we fear, they actually come from a biblical concept. So when we study the word of God, we, we begin with what's called a first mention principle, very basic hermeneutic approach to scripture. We look at the first time something is introduced in scripture to explain to us how it happens throughout the rest of scripture. And the idea of curses enter scripture in the very first story. With Adam and Eve, God brings a curse into the land. And it's this very curse. Its origin is in the Garden of Eden. And it says that that the land that we work will resist our efforts. Right? Like, we have a generation right now that believes, like, work is a curse from God, right? Close, but not quite. It's not work that's a curse, it's the sweat of your brow that is the curse. It's, it's not work that's the curse. It's ground or, or productivity that is difficult that is the curse. And, and it's in this moment that God says, because you've chosen to walk, from, walk away from me, uh, there's even going to be like spousal competition, right? It says that, that, that the woman will desire to conquer the man, but she will be conquered by the man. Like there's this, this weird thing, this dynamic that happens in relationships where sometimes we, we posture for control in the relationship. That's, an, that's a result of the curse. Racism is a result of the curse. You realize like racism has no place in the heart of a believer. I should get a better amen than that. It has, because it's a result of the curse. It's not of God. It's like it's not from God. Rivalries among people is not of God. These are points of curse. These, these disappointments that we experience in life with our work or our finances or our spouse or our kids or, or the evil we see in our communities, or, or the, these are all results of a curse. And, and so curses enter into the world in, in a couple different ways. The, the first would be this, is the idea of a generational curse. And I mentioned this a few Sundays ago, and and somebody was like, you don't believe that crap, do you? Well, I'm saying it again, so I guess I do. Um, Sorry, I just said the C word. Thank you. I'm glad that my salvation is unconditional. Listen. What a generational curse really is, is it's like, in sociology, we would call it like a a learned behavior. It's this idea of something that we we inherit from our parents as a behavioral thing. It might be a genetic disorder, according to science, or it might be like a familial propensity based on like addiction recovery. But what I'm saying is the Bible calls it like this. The Bible says that the sins of the fathers are visited to the children for seven generations. And so we think like, oh, I've just got this anger problem I just can't kick. But if you were honest with yourself, your dad had the anger problem, and his dad had the anger problem, and his dad had the anger problem. 
Or the same thing would come from the, 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 the woman. Like maybe, maybe you're like, man, I just have this insecurity about, you know, just talking in front of people. But I promise, like when you look at your family, you'll recognize that there is, there is patterns. And it's not of God. So this idea of, of a generational type curse... I mean, that idea of a curse, I mean, it can, be, it can be presented through fear, right? Mom, you can teach your kids to be scared of things they have no reason to be scared of. And you're like, you do it, and you're like, oh, my, my mom did this to me. She was making me scared of the same thing. Well, why? According to Scripture, that's an idea of like a generational thing that's passed down. And then there's other curses. There's covenantal curses. This is when God makes agreements with people, and he says, uh, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. You want to know why the church tends to align themselves, for the most part, with Israel? I'm getting into geopolitics right now, but I'll explain it. The reason the church does that is because there is a covenantal curse attached to, and a covenantal blessing attached to, anyone who blesses them or curses them. And, and, and it's a thing that God has established, and it's been throughout history. And so people that recognize that God actually, when he says something, his words don't just fall short. They, they mean something. So it's, it's less political, and it's more God. So there's this idea of covenantal curses. The next one would be witchcraft, right? People doing, like, spells and this kind of And I know, like, around here, nobody's doing spells. I, like, we're not worried about the occult. Like, I get that. But here's the real thing. The kind of curses we experience the most in our life are self-imposed curses. I'm just not smart enough. And when you speak those words out loud, you've spoken a weight over yourself. I, I'm just not smart enough, or I never should have been born. Or maybe, maybe for you, it's not you saying it to yourself, but maybe your parents said something, like maybe in a moment of, of frustration, your mom may have said, I wish you were never born. And for somebody else, they can't fathom that being spoken, but for you, it's become a reality that your own mother wished you were not born, and it becomes a self-imposed curse that we believe. I, I, I pastored a man uh, in Alaska who even to this day, when you talk to him, he says, I'm nothing but white trailer trash. And I said, why do you say that about yourself? He says, I say that about myself because when I was nine years old living in Cincinnati, Ohio, there was a man, the neighbor man walked over and I was playing in the yard and he said, get back inside the house, you piece of white trash. And for the rest of his life, he has viewed himself with this self-imposed curse that says, I am worth nothing. Maybe for you, what it might look like is we're the Murphy's Law family. Anything that could go wrong, it's going to go wrong in our family. But I'm telling you, that's, that's a self-imposed curse, and it is not of God. The deal is we manage. We manage these things. I'm just... I'm never going to find a spouse. I'm not lovable. We manage these things through rituals, don't we? We find ways to cope with it. We experience, like, I'm just always going to feel, I'm always going to be a person that others reject, and so I cope with it through pornography. 
or we, we find ways to cope with the issue. We, we cope with it through addictions, don't we? We cope with it through chasing relationships, don't we? Uh, or we get really spiritual and we cope with it not through addictions, but we cope with it through religious fervor, don't we? Talk to a man, I've talked men before that like when struggling with, um, I don't know why I'm on this one, but I'll just stay on it, but pornography. They're like, I need to kick this thing, so I'm going to go on a fast. I'm going to go on a 21-day fast, I'm going to kick this thing. Are you kidding me? Do you know the only time in Jesus' life that he was tempted? Was when he was fasting. So you're going to make yourself more susceptible to temptation to try to kick temptation. Like, no, that's not how it works. Like, what you really need to do is identify what the rituals are you are doing in your life and bring accountability people into your life and confess it out loud to some trusted people in your life, not your spouse, and get through. But it's not going to happen through, like, you fasting it away. Okay, if you're looking for the, for the preacher that's going to just tell you, fast all your problems away, wrong spot. So, so we have these, these, these ways that we try to cope with the words we speak over ourselves, the things people have spoken over us that bring weight into our life. But the Bible gives us a clear solution to these kind of curses. A very clear solution. It's not read your Bible more. It's not attend church more. It's not tithe more. It's very simple. It says this in 1 John. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For where, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Hold on. He's recognizing the disconnect between the way we believe about God and the way we feel about God. And he says, anytime your heart condemns you, God is greater than this lie that's going on inside here. And he knows all the junk you're doing. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So I'm here to tell somebody today that when you have a disconnect between what you know about God and how you feel that he may view you, God says, I'm greater than your heart. When my heart is unconvinced, God is always convinced it's in these moments that someone's like, no, I just, pastor, I just know it in my heart. He's the one for me. I know it in my heart. <laughs> you know it in your heart. Here's what the Bible says about your heart. It says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, right? Like, you don't know it in your heart. But when we experience that guilt and shame and condemnation, that's the result of those kind of curses in our heart, isn't it? 
man, I'm just not good enough. Like, I'll never be be good enough. Like, I'll never be acceptable. I'll never be lovable. I'll never be healthy again. And we have this guilt and shame and disappointment and, and all the stuff that holds us back right here. But here's the Bible's response. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your heart is, is limited, so it only registers right versus wrong. But God is not measuring your life in right versus wrong. He's measuring your life in free versus not free. And he says, who the Son has set free is free indeed. If my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart. And here's how it all works. In the biblical worldview, the way you deal with the curse, whether it's uh, a self-imposed curse or whether it's some sort of witchcraft curse, whatever it might be, like a general, the way you deal with the curse according to scripture is this, you have to kill it. This is the whole concept of sacrifice. You have to kill the curse to prove to God that somehow you are Finally, like you are finalizing this idea that you are no longer bound to this curse. And we still see this in, in third world countries. That when, when there is a curse, we've got to get rid of this curse. We've got we've to kill it. And then, but biblically, it then goes on one step further. You've got to kill it, and then you've got to hang it on a tree so everybody can see you got rid of it. To finalize before heaven that I'm no longer bound to this curse that's self-imposed or inflicted upon me. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 21, 23. That his body, talking about the cursed person, shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is, or a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. According, according to the tradition, according to scripture, when someone is put on a tree, it's a curse. This is why Jewish tradition was you have to get them off the tree within the 24 hours. And this is the very issue of why it's so hard for Jewish believers to follow Christianity. Because at the very core of it is this, the way we deal with curses is we put them on a tree, and yet Christians have their faith in a guy who was placed on a tree. Amen. Dealt with, finalized. Listen, Jesus' death is interpreted as God's judgment on him. But I want to explain this a, bit, a, a step further. In Galatians 3, it says this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. Aren't you thankful that you don't live under the book of the law? Like you live in freedom under Christ. He says, now it is evident that no one is justified before, no one is made right before God by the law, by doing good or avoiding bad. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a 
Christ redeemed us of the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Jesus' answer to the curses in your life, Jesus' answer to the self-imposed curse in your own life is that he becomes the curse that was spoken over you. I'm saying you don't have to go before God and say, I finally get rid of this. I'm going to do my 12 steps. I'm going to finally get rid of this thing. Instead, the message is God comes to you. God has come to you, and he's not mad. He calls us to turn towards him. He calls us to to respond towards him. He's not wagging his finger saying you did wrong, wagging his finger saying you think about yourself wrong. That's not what he's doing. He's coming to you, and he says, I will take on all the sin of the world. It says this, he made him, made him sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ Jesus. I'm just telling somebody today that whatever that lie that you believed, whatever was spoken over you as a child, whatever it is that you brought into your marriage that has put a heavy weight, a burden on your marriage, Jesus Christ says, I'll become the curse so I can free you from the curse. So I'm convinced that you are free in Christ Jesus because he who the Son has set free is free. Like you don't have to live with your guilt or your shame anymore. You don't have to live thinking that you're a second-class citizen anymore, not because of who your father is, not because of who your mother is, not because you're a moral person, not because you have money in the bank or your kids went to an Ivy League school, but the Bible tells us that Jesus sets people free for freedom's sake alone. So, So we look at it and we say... Okay, God's going to set me free. Why? Why does he want to set me free? Is it so that I can be the, the nice Christian wearing a polo shirt on a Sunday morning and driving slow? Like this? Does he want to wearing khaki pants? Right? Like, he, he doesn't set you free so you can carry a big Bible. Now, that will be a response to freedom. That's not why he sets you free. Let me explain. The only string attached to the freedom that is in Christ Jesus, it's this. Galatians 5 verse 1, for freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. That's the only reason. For freedom. He set you free so that you wouldn't be bound anymore. He set you free so that you wouldn't be under that curse anymore. Not because he wanted to add another curse to you. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to another yoke of slavery. So Jesus' response to the curses that are in our life, the curses that came from the fall of mankind, all of those things, his response is this. He takes on the curse, as the band would come, he takes on the curse, and he allows the curse to become inside of him. And then 
he infiltrates the curse himself. Because he actually enters into the curse. He, he doesn't overcome our curse by doing something different. He enters the curse, and God says decisively in that moment that everything that has held you down no longer has authority in your life. I may be preaching loud and yelling a lot. That's what I do. But I hope you're hearing today that if you want freedom in Christ Jesus, it's available to you. And it's not conditional based on how good you've been this week. It's not conditional based on how much you've avoided the bad things in life this week. He says, I'll become that curse. And I will break free. So right now where you are standing, God says you are free. Whatever's held you back, whatever has stunted your growth, God says free. As you stand with me, 2 Corinthians 5 says this. Therefore, if anyone, not if good people, not of holy people, not of smart people. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So in Jesus, you are not defined by the lies you believe. You are not defined by the church you attend. You are not defined by the slander that you received. In Jesus Christ, you can have freedom. True freedom. Transformational freedom. The power of God working on the inside of you changing the way you think changing the way you believe changing the way you see the world but through that power you have the power to overcome even in the middle of a situation that you feel is unsurmountable even though you may feel overwhelmed by the choices of others you can be free in Christ Jesus So today, I want you to know that every curse that has been spoken over you, your family, your children, every lie that you have believed that says that they're not going to make it, every one of those has been dealt with once and for all. So if there's a lie you've believed, if there's a lie you've told yourself today, stop aligning yourself with the lie that is a curse. And let's align ourselves with the word of God that says that you are free in him. 
you're in this place right now and, and you're ready to say, I'm, I'm done with these self-imposed curses, these lies, maybe something somebody spoke over you, whatever it might be, if you're ready to be done with that thing, would you raise your hand across the room? <laughs> Come on. Come on, that's some bold people. Bold keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. What we're going to do is we're just going to call out to God and we're going to surrender that thing to him right now. And as we do, his Holy Spirit's going to move into that place. So right now, Lord Jesus, we call on you because you are the author and you are the finisher of our faith. Lord, I, I denounce every lie that was spoken over these in this room. Every, every curse that was believed, every, every moment of shame that developed into a spiritual stronghold in someone's life. Right now, in the name that is above every other name, we say you belong no longer. You, are, you have no place. And right now, Spirit of the living God, flood our hearts and minds. Spirit of the living God that transforms and changes our world. I pray you'd rescue a mama right now in the name of Jesus. That you would wash away every lie that she's believed about her kids. Lord, I pray you'd rescue a young man right now, that you'd, you'd rescue him from the fear of failure that's haunted his life. Because you alone are the source of everything we need. You alone are the source of everything we have. So right now, we trust you. We do not trust another. So when you say, who the Son has set free, we say that's us. If you're in the room right now and you just feel like God pulling at your heart, you feel like God saying, you need to get right with me right now. Right now is your moment. If you're ready to do that, just lift your hands so I can see where you are. It's as easy as faith. Come on, I see that. I see that, those hands. Come on. It's not difficult to be in right standing with God. We're justified by faith. So if you just raise your hand, here's what I want you to do. We're going to repent, which means we're going to turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, and say that we know don't please God. And then we're going to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, we're in right standing with God, and more than that, He pulls us to a place of relationship with him. So join me right now as we repent and believe. God, right now, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. The things I've thought, the things I've said, the things I've done, I'm turning away from them right now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus died buried and he rose again on the third day and right now I'm placing all of my faith and hope in Jesus Christ alone say these words Jesus be the Lord of my life and I'll follow you every day that I live come on church family somebody just made the best decision this whole year Come on. Best decision. A fresh start. 
a new life, the best Sunday ever. Hey, listen, that's, we don't want you to just stop there and just be like, oh, I made a decision for Jesus, I'm done. That's not how we do. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. That means we don't go back to our ways of slavery. And so we want to equip you. We want to give you some, some handles to this thing. One is groups that kick off next week. We want you to get plugged in with other believers because other believers will help you grow. And if you're in the room and you're like, actually, I really feel like I need to be leading a group, then I want you to talk to Toby. Would you raise your hand, Toby and Alan? Raise your hands. I want you to talk to these guys right here. And, and we want to get you plugged in. We've got group leader training later this week, and we want you there. But um, come on. Let's live this thing out. Let's live it out. Come on. Let's worship the Lord. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.